My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are here this morning. If you got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 13. Now, how many of you are my friends with on Facebook? Like, wave at me. Yay. Thank you for that. Um, so did you see the thing I posted last night? Something about a pronoun that I'm excited about. Yes, that's exactly right. So uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I am going through, um, I think it's Bill Mounts, right? He's, is his first name Bill? I should know. I'm on chapter 16, right? Uh, of his Greek grammar. So I have accumulated little tidbits of stuff and knowledge about uh, the Greek language uh, over the years, and I finally convinced myself it's probably time to actually take a class. Uh, but in true teacher fashion, I am skipping over all the stuff I don't really care about and uh, just going to the things that I want to know about. And uh, so this last week, I'm on chapter 16, started a couple weeks ago. Uh, this last week, uh, we looked at pronouns. And I had told you guys when we started doing the handouts, uh, like we do the handouts now that you can find on the table over there. Next week is over there as well. Um, but when I started doing the handouts like this, there was information on the handout that I didn't know how to use yet. We are closing the gap, and I am excited about this. So um, one of the things that I found this week actually was relevant to a verse that we are studying this week, and it is an extension of a thought that we talked about last week, and I am excited about it. So with that as my long-winded intro, uh, we will start with the what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far. And let me welcome some folks online. So, uh, Ronald Dye, hey mom, um, Amy Velosin, Jules and C, hey guys, and then uh, Chris Arnold, awesome. Good to have you guys. So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? So Ben, since you have now started teaching on Wednesday nights, I don't know if you've gotten to the portion of your class yet where you ask a question and everybody uh, inspects their shoelaces, right? <laughs> this was the... Uh... I've got Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah, my, uh, my home church, uh, the pastor that I grew up under, he died just under a year ago. And uh, he had this joke that he would give to me and some other folks in the church that, you know, he'd call on people to pray and it's instantly shoelace inspection time, right? So it's fun. But so what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark that we have studied so far? All right, so that'll be one of our homework items for next week is that we think about that question. All right, so let's take a look at uh, where we are in Mark's gospel. Um, just as a reminder, you, <laughs> one way to think about each one of the gospels is a, a story about the Passion Week with a long introduction. Um, I saw that this last week, and I was like, that's a neat way to think about them, because there's so much that goes into the very last week. So in, in Mark, 
Chapters 1 through 10 are basically what happens before the last week of Jesus' life. Chapters 11 through 16 are the last week. So we, we slow down dramatically when we get to the end of each one of these Gospels. Um, and I would argue that's a, a beautiful thing to do because it's one of the most beautiful portions of Scripture there is. So, so let's read through Mark chapter 13. And uh, we'll talk about specifically uh, verses 24 through 27 today. So Mark chapter 13. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things, all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know 
when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Amen. Now, I don't know if you look at uh, the, the text of Scripture very often with the intent of grouping things together and thinking about how Jesus is moving from one topic to another and another and another. But if you don't, I would encourage you to think about doing that. So I'll, I'll give you a bit of the way that I see Mark chapter 13. So if you look at kind of all of Mark chapter 13, verses... Uh, Really, five through eight is when Jesus starts his answer. So he gives them, he gives them this overview of the entire answer, right? And then verses nine through thirteen, he's directing very specific. There's a lot of you words. It's very direct toward the disciples themselves. Very direct toward the disciples. In verses fourteen through twenty-three, this is the what are you looking out for? Here's the here's the signals. Here's the, and some of these overlap a little bit, and I'm I'm okay with that. But in verses 24 through 27, it's not what are you looking out for, it's who are you looking out for. The, the focus shifts from all these external things to me. Like, I am coming, and this is important for you. And I, and I don't want us to miss that when Jesus is speaking, he is building up to what is most important. Then verses 28 through 31, he, he brings them back, and this is... This is just mind-bogglingly incredible teaching here. He brings them back to something that he taught them earlier, and now he's going to connect it because what he did earlier was on purpose to be able to be connected later. So there's these waves of interpretation and understanding to his parables. So one of the reasons we still teach Jesus' parables today is they're exceedingly simple to get, and incredibly complex in their application. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So he's got these waves of application. And then verses 32 to 37, he focuses again and actually really kind of gets back and answers their question, you know, when will this be? And he says, you don't know. Which is actually fairly unusual for Jesus to answer the question that was asked. It's more typical for him to just ask a question back and you get into this rabbinical question and answer mode um, that usually frustrates almost everybody that's talking to him, but it's okay. So this is the way I think about this particular chapter in Mark chapter 13. Um, so for me, the, he really focuses on who are you looking out for? So there's some more signs here, but it culmin these particular signs culminate in Jesus himself. So on your handout, page 439. Still makes me laugh, page 439, right? The Word document is about to become unstable at this point. So just FYI, it has a limit. Um, verse 24, so, but in those days, so that's a demonstrative pronoun, very specific days Jesus is referring to, which I think is interesting that he can refer to specific days that he doesn't know exactly when are. But we do this all the time, right? When we're talking to somebody, if this happens, then I'm going to do this. Right, well, you're talking about a very specific thing that could trigger some other action, right? So in those days, after that tribulation. Now, 
We use in our Sunday school for the study of Mark, the ESV is the translation that I think is, it does a really good job with Mark. Um, there are, however, a couple of spots where I go, I don't know why they picked that word. So if you have a different translation, what is the word that your translation uses for the word after days? The ESV calls it after, after that. Does anybody else have a different translation that you would be willing to share? One says, but in those days, following that distress. Following that distress, okay. I like that word distress. That's a pretty good translation too. The, the word, I've actually got it highlighted on your handout there, uh, denoting accompaniment or amid. You, you very easily could translate it during those days because it's amid this as it is happening. Um, you think about it as this thing is accompanying other things that are going along. So amid or after or following, uh, pick, your, pick your preposition. Uh, after that tribulation or pressure, or distress, I like that. I, I would argue that distress would be a good way to translate the word for the implication of the pressure, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens when we are pressured? We get distressed sometimes, right? Do you think the disciples would have Do I think that? No, absolutely not. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, so I, great question. Do you think the disciples would have known? Um, if, if you ask me a question and I go into a chapter-long answer, what are you listening for? The actual answer, right. And I, I would argue this is one of those spectacularly beautiful cases of the Holy Spirit doing what only the Holy Spirit can do. Preserving and helping those disciples to remember, because remember we think Mark is... Uh, sitting next to Peter, and Peter, Peter's retelling the story. So the Holy Spirit is telling Peter what to say to Mark, and Mark's writing this stuff down. And I would argue that this is one of those spectacular examples of thank you, Holy Spirit, <laughs> for, for preserving what very likely they weren't paying any attention to at all. Because we don't get any significant follow-up questions at all. Right? You look at the end of chapter 13, and the disciples' rebuttal was nothing. Right? So they're just... You got nothing there. Uh, so no, I don't think they had any idea. I, I would argue that there's really good evidence in the New Testament that there was a spectacular volume of what Jesus was teaching that went completely over their head until significantly later. Um, I, and I love those texts where it's like, and they began to understand what he meant when he said, you're like, oh, yeah. Because it's really, it's not just layered for us, it was layered for them too, so... And I think I just gave you a chapter response, so sorry about that. <laughs> so after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. So what direction are we going here? So before we have gone, you know, what do you do when the, the abomination desolation shows up and he's standing where he's not supposed to stand? You, you flee. So it's, it's very, very horizontal-oriented language. Now we are looking up. So the, I would argue that one of the things that Jesus might be communicating here is that this is a omnidirectional impact. Every direction you can go is going to be impacted by this event. All the stuff horizontally, the stuff in the sky, like it's any direction you look, it's going to be impacted. So the sun will be darkened. Now, th there, are, uh, there are times in my life where I think and I chuckle 
where we land on a specific verse in a specific day, and I, I'm like, oh, that was kind of neat. Does anybody remember what happened a few years ago in this area around this time period? The eclipse, the eclipse right? Um, this is not that. <laughs> so just so we're clear, right? This is absolutely, totally not that. And so somebody asked me, how do you know this is not that? Or somebody tell me, look at the text, and how do you know this is not that? What's the next phrase? The moon's not going to give its light. Why would the moon not give its light? Because the sun has been darkened. What is the moon? The moon's just a big reflector, right? It doesn't emanate any light itself. So I read this to say that, you know, this, is, this darkness is going to last a hot minute. It's going to last at least during the day where you can see the sun darkened and the night when you're like, uh, that's supposed to be doing something, and it's not. <laughs> and I, our house is situated so that we can actually uh, see the moon from our master bedroom. So it's a full moon. Our master bedroom is like, you got the lights turned on. It's just like, okay, there you go. This was very, very poor geographical design on my part of our home. I was thinking about the sun. Where is the sun? I forgot about the moon. And when the moon is shining in your, in your bedroom, like for me, I like a dark room. It's just very helpful for me. Um, but the moon will not give its light. So this is a round-the-clock, very visible impact on what's going on. You, you can't get away from the impact of this. All right, so the, the moon will not give its light. Uh, next page, the stars will be falling from the heaven. You're like, what is going on? Well, the stars are falling from the heaven. That's what's going on. <laughs> what could this look like, right? You could play 20 questions on this. It could look like a lot of things. What does the text say? The stars will be falling from the heaven. And the falling is a present active participle. It's going to be happening for a hot minute. I would argue that this is probably more than one day's worth of activity. This is going to be, this is going to take a minute for all of this to occur. The stars are falling from the heaven. And, the, and this is one of my favorite parts of this text. And the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Now, if you pick up a commentary and you look at the phrase, powers in the heavens, you will get 4,000 different interpretations. I am not interested in that at all in any way, shape, or form trying to understand what that means. What I want to do is I want to contrast that with the powers in the next verse. Because the powers in the heavens are shaken. Something is going on that is impacting them. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power. Does it describe Jesus' power as being shaken? No. <laughs> no. So see the contrast here. The heavens are at the sovereign command of God. He can move them into whatever position he wants, for whatever purpose he wants, as he has done, and as he actually told us very early on in Genesis. I've created the stars in the sky and the seasons for signs. Like, I put this here to communicate with you guys. You should look up periodically. Like, this is, it, it blows my mind how often we forget to just go, wow, that's incredible. It's just absolutely incredible. He moves every one of them. The, the unnumbered to us, we can't even, I don't even know how there are, right? It's a whole bunch of zeros, lots of commas. They're all under his command. So verse 26, and then, 
they will see. Now, this they is a little suspect here. It could be a plural you, or it could be talking about somebody else. So we'll, I'm not going to harp along on this, but they'll see the Son of Man. And we've heard Jesus refer to himself as this term many times so far in the Gospel of Mark. This is, he's talking about himself. They'll see the Son of Man coming in clouds, plural clouds. Now, does anybody remember the last time Mark used the word cloud in Mark's gospel? It's on your handout. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, this is verse 7. It's at the transfiguration. Verse 7, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. And who was the voice? You remember who the voice the father, right? The father speaking about the son. So we have this, this last time this word cloud is used, it's associated with the father's voice. So he's coming in clouds with great power. Whose power? Whose power? Say again? Father. Yes, that's right. In Matthew's gospel, in 24, chapter 24, this passage is expounded quite a bit more. This is actually the Father's power. And if you look at Mark chapter 14, verse 62, I love the, what the ESV does right here. Mark 14, 62. And this is, uh, this is Jesus playing 20 questions with the, uh, or actually the Sanhedrin's playing 20 questions with Jesus. Uh, and they ask him, uh, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Right? This is in Mint is this, we're going to indict you based on your answer to this. In verse 62, Jesus says, I am. <laughs> Full stop, that's enough to crucify him right there. Like, done. But he doesn't stop there. <laughs> and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Which I wonder if it's not just a... I know you're going to kill me, but my story's not over when you do this. Like, I've got more. There is more to my story that is coming. That's crazy talk. True and amazingly bold. So verse 26, back in chapter 13, and they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. If you look back in... Uh, Mark 8:38 the glory is his father's glory as well. Verse 27 and he will send out the angels. Now the very first Bible study that I ever did and my mom is on this morning. Hey mom. Uh, was on angels. And uh, I had we we were traveling I want to say we were traveling to uh, let me rewind. I got asked to teach the Bible when I was 16 years old. My pastor told me, take my old sermons, rework them, teach those. You'll begin to see how things are set up. This is a good way to learn. It's like, great. But I got very interested in angels in high school and uh, wanted to do a series on, wanted to do a study on angels. I didn't know what a series was back then, right? And my dad, uh, we had to travel one Sunday morning for something. I forget what it was. And it was going to be multiple hours in the car. And he said, well, how about you teach us something on angels that Sunday morning, and that'll kind of serve as our church service as we travel to this location. I was like, sure, cool. So this was back in the day of three-by-five cards. 
And if there are any young people on the call this morning, um, it's paper that you wrote things down on to preserve, right? Uh, this was the same process that I used to write um, papers in high school where you, you remember you go to the library and you pull out and you look at it. It's like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. Um, the internet makes this so much faster today. But what I did, every verse in the Bible that had the word angel in it, pulled out my Strong's Concordance and I wrote it down on a three by five card. I thought this was a brilliant strategy until I was about halfway through Genesis. <laughs> And realized there's a lot of verse, and I, I mean it was it was a monster stack. And then I laid them all out. Okay, how do I, how would I group these? Right. Well, these all kind of talk about this, and these all talk about this, and these all kind of talk about this, and these. Are, and by the by the end of the whole thing, I was like, oh, well, this these all go together, and these are okay. I could talk about this, and I could talk about this. Yeah, this makes sense. All right, there we go. So we get in the car, we're driving down the road. We uh, oh, mom said traveling to Florida. <laughs> lived in Shelbyville, Tennessee at the time, so it was a long trip. And, um, uh, I mean, it was, you know, so it started to go, right? And the way Dad tells this story is that halfway to wherever we were, which this trip would have been five hours, it didn't go that long, uh, that I looked up and took a breath. <laughs> and he looks over and he says, Bud, that's what he calls me, he said, Bud, how far into this are you? Well, I'm about done. He said, all right. But I learned a lot about angels through that. It was a very thorough, slow process. And one of the things that I learned about angels was that they do what God tells them to do. Like, full stop. And if they don't, there are eternal ramifications from that. Like you, you only get one miss, and then you're done. Utter obedience. And this word for angel... Is, it just literally means a messenger. But what he does to them, he will send them out, the Father. I'm sorry, the, the Son of Man, Jesus will send them out, which tells us that Jesus is over the angels as far as hierarchical rank is concerned. He will send them out. He will apostello them. And if you look at that Greek word that's italicized there, apostello, if it looks a lot like apostles, it's because it's basically the word for apostles. He's going to send them out on a mission. Like that is the function of an angel, to go and to complete a mission. <clears throat> so he will send them out and gather his elect from the four winds. All right. I don't know if you want to write in your Bible, but I certainly want you to write on the handout. In the middle of page 441, I want you to circle the word his. Because this word was not here last week's, in last week's text. In last week's text, when we were looking at Mark chapter 13... And uh, verse 20, and if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect. So he establishes this doctrine of election that God has chosen specific. But here in verse 27, it's not just the elect. There is a personal pronoun and I have learned a few things about pronouns. So it's a singular. So we're talking about one. It's masculine. We're talking about a male. And it's genitive. Now, there's three different types of pronouns. There's the accusative. That's where the pronoun's acting as the direct object. There's the nominative. That's where the pronoun is acting as the indirect object. And the genitive. And this is where the pronoun is showing ownership of something. And that's what's used here. And in English, it comes across beautifully. It's very clear. But what I want you to see 
is that he lays the foundation for this theology, this doctrine, in the prior section, and then he grips his hand around it in this one. Because they're not just the elect, they're his elect. And if you have repented of sin and placed your faith in Christ, then you are his elect. And that is beautiful. It's not just this impersonal, you're at a distance, whatever. no, 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 no. God owns you. That's beautiful. And, and I would argue that all throughout Mark chapter 13, in Jesus' answer, that, that on the surface is this, what is coming is unbelievably bad. But all throughout, woven in this, is hope. And it is truth. And it is assurance of who has them, who will be with them, and who will never leave them. And this is a beautiful thing. And I think Jesus illustrates for us one of the ways that we can answer people's questions about God, about future events, about the Bible, is that, yes, we should absolutely tell the truth, but we should not leave out hope. We should not leave out the reality of the beautiful relationship that one can have with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit. These are gorgeous, beautiful things. So this is the personal pronoun, the genitive personal pronoun, that I've been hung up on this week. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So his elect, his favorites, his select, from the four winds, or the four corners, I'm actually surprised that ESV didn't translate this to four corners, <clears throat> from the four corners, from the four ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So again, we see that there is no boundary to where this event impacts, and there's also no boundary that will keep God from gathering his own, which well, that's great news right there. <laughs> that is really, really good news. That there's no distance you can put between yourself and the Father if you are His. There's no distance you can put between yourself and the Son if you are His. There's no distance you can put between yourself and the Spirit if you are His that God cannot bridge that gap. It seems like every week I look on the news and I see somebody uh, doing something, trying to get farther out into space and farther out into space and farther out into space. I'm like, man, that's a long, that's a really long ways away that they're talking about going. That we have not begun to scratch the surface of God's ability to go meet any of those distances. It is not a problem for him. All right, so let's look at some application and personalizations. The last page of your handout here. So application number one, um, You've heard me say it before. I'm going to keep saying it as long as Jesus keeps using these future indicatives. Jesus knows the future. Yes, he does. I think there are seven future indicatives in these four verses. Like I, I mean, all he's got left to do is just go, do you see who I am? I mean, this is, it's ridiculous how confident he is in the future. So what do we do with that? I would say trust him and trust him with it. And the longer I study Mark chapter 13, I think those are two different things. Because there's an element of trust where you can say, I trust you, Jesus, but I'm not sure that you've got all the details. And then there's an element where I trust you, and I trust you with all the details, however you see fit to work it out. And that's his whole other level of, like, ooh, what in the world. Uh, application number two, the heavens obey God. Which <laughs> is kind of a crazy statement, right? <laughs> 
So what do we do with that? Uh, behold our creator. Just stare every once in a while. Look up, stare, and just behold. Uh, application number three. The occupants of heaven obey God. When Jesus sends those angels out, they're going to do what he tells them to do. So what do we do with that? Behold our sovereign king. I have never once spelled the word sovereign correctly in my entire life. If you misspell it, it's okay. I am confident I have misspelled it in my notes today. So it'll be all right. And then application number four. It's where Jesus lands the plane, so that's where I'll land the plane. God will gather his own. So what do we do with that? Be ready to be gathered. I would love for today to be the day. Yes. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like today's the day. We're, I hate to see anyone go the wrong way, but amen. this world is not. It's not our home. It's not our home. And we will be gathered up from it, and we will be brought together with the one who is and was and will be our God. And uh, I can't wait. I cannot wait. It will be a beautiful thing. So be ready to be gathered. This is not a threat. This is meant to be an encouragement, right? I'm not one of those guys that's the, you know, all the jazz. Um, Should be happy thought. Yes, this is a happy thought. Amen to that. Amen. Be ready to be gathered because the end is better for the Christian than the beginning. And he's with us now. He's with us now. All right, so uh, thank you all. Uh, next week, Lord willing, we'll start with Mark 13, 28. The handout is over there. The handout's also online if you want to grab it online. Uh, so our homework, you can write this one in if you want. Be ready to answer the question, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Uh, pray for help. Hear, Mark. Think, talk, share, invite. Uh, and then at, the, at your tables, if you would, uh, this is extra critical today because my wife is not here to double check if you don't do this. Uh, please make sure your names are at the bottom of the handout uh, so that you can get credit from whomever in the office gives you credit each week. Uh, points have no redeemable value, but I'm sure somebody's keeping track of points. So uh, there is that. Uh, but if you have any prayer requests, please write those down. Uh, if you have any updates to their prayer requests, uh, please uh, make those as well. And after you have prayed as a table, you are free to go and to worship this one who knows the future, who commands the heavens, who commands the occupants of the heavens, who is coming to gather his own and floods this devastatingly serious message of Mark 13 with the good news of the truth of how salvation and our God work together for his good and for our good. And it is beautiful. So with that, thanks for coming to Sunday School today, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.